The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Awesome. Well, we are in the, uh, the third week of a series that, that we're doing called Who Is This Man? Uh, and in this series, we're, we're exploring the lasting impact that, that Jesus' life had on our world. That this guy who walked the earth, actually walked the earth for 33 years, that this single life has had a massive ripple effect in almost everything you can think of in our world. And so we've been looking at those sort of different categories. And so the first week I just introduced the topic. Uh, I was out of town last week, and so we had uh, Andrew Walker here, who's going to be the pastor of our our fifth Acts Church in the Acts Church Network. He's going to be in South Austin uh, down the Kyle San Marcos area. So if you have any friends down there, send them on. And if you want to drive an hour... Go ahead. Um, but, but so we're glad to have him uh, with us that week. And he introduced how Jesus uh, revolutionized really how we see other people, and in particular, how we see folks that are on the margins of society. He, he revolutionized how we, we saw folks. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' impact on academia. We're going to look at Jesus' impact on the life of the mind, on the intellect. And now I say that, and for some of you, that, that maybe sounds a little weird, right? Like, like even if, if you grew up in the church, if you grew up a Christian, we generally do this thing where we say, hey, listen, if you really want your mind to be challenged intellectually by the Christian faith, you, you go ahead and you read the Apostle Paul, all right? You read him, try to make it through Romans, see if you can hang with him, right? But, but you, if you want the kids to just know that Jesus loves them and God loves them, just read those simple little stories in the Gospels, right? And we sort of worship everything about Jesus but his mind. I'm just going to suggest to you, if he actually is the Son of God, might be a little bit smarter than we think he is, right? If you're not a Christian, you may say, listen, you know, Jesus he may be a good moral teacher, he may be a good spiritual teacher, that sort of thing, but this idea of him having an impact on the life of the mind, uh, that seems a little bit out of place to me. Here's the reality, and hopefully you'll see this today. Jesus' impact on the intellect, Jesus' impact on how each of us thinks about the world is absolutely unprecedented in all of human history absolutely unprecedented in all of human history. Uh, it makes me think of my two grandfathers, all right? So my grandfather on my mom's side, and my maternal grandfather, he, he uh, has a doctorate of engineering. Uh, he was literally a rocket scientist, uh, like worked for NASA for, for many years in, in the 70s. Uh, he, he taught engineering at several prestigious universities. And true story, I visited him this past summer and he and I were talking. He's like, hey, Gabe, I'll be back. I got to go take care of some things. I was like, yeah, what are you working on, Grandpa? He's like, oh, I got to go do another revision of my book on metallurgy. I don't even know what that is, you know, like, and he's got a textbook on it. So I have no idea. Uh, and then, then, so that's my grandpa on my mom's side. Then there's my grandpa on my, my dad's side. And he didn't graduate eighth grade, lived in the same small town in northern Wisconsin his entire life. Right? But as, a, as a, a man who made his living as a dairy farmer, you put any machine in front of him, he could fix it. He knew when to plant the crops, when to harvest the crops, when to rotate the crops. He knew all that. He knew how to butcher, cure, package, and portion all his own meat and provide that for his family for an entire Like, you give the man a cow, he's like, done. Dinner's taken care of for a year. Right? Like, he could just do that. I don't know how. So, I got one grandpa who we'd say is book smart. And I got another grandpa who we'd say is street smart. And somehow I still ended up mostly useless, right? Um, but at least I'm charming, right? That's just hang on to that, Gabe. Now, my, my rocket scientist grandpa is, is alive and is, is a strong Christian. He actually gives to our church, which is pretty cool. Uh, my farmer grandpa, he died in the faith. 
and uh, many years ago, and now he and Jesus uh, cheer for the Packers together, and uh, hopefully it helps this Sunday. Um, it was rough last week, but anyways, but why, why do I tell you about them? Why am I talking to you about my grandparents or my grandfather? To make this point, make this point, even, even if neither one of my grandfathers were Christians, even neither one of them were, Jesus Christ still had an impact on their minds. Whether you're book smart or street smart, Jesus Christ still has an impact on your life. He shaped the life of the mind to this day. I mean, just, just look at the life that he lived in the Gospels. That Jesus would walk around and he'd give advice to fishermen on how they should fish. And he'd school lawyers on how to interpret the law. That he was a carpenter and he was a rabbi. That he hung out with shepherds and tax accountants. And so in order for us to really grasp the, the influence that Jesus has had on the life of the mind and how it impacts us today, what we're going to get into this morning uh, is, is a Christian epistemology. Okay? Now, I know epistemology is a word you guys use a lot, uh, day in and day out, but for the, for the few of you that don't use epistemology a lot, uh, this is what it is. It's, it's a philosophical term for the theory of knowledge. So epistemology is a philosophical term for the theory of knowledge. It's how we know what is true. So your epistemology, you have one, is how you know something is true. What we're going to see in our text for today is that a Christian epistemology believes that truth is a person, believes that truth is for all people, and believes that truth is liberating. Okay, so a Christian epistemology, what we'll see in our text, is that truth is a person, truth is for all people, and truth is liberating. Okay, so we're going to get into it, and as we do that, I want to talk about this idea of truth. We kind of got to give a little context to our text for today, and so I want to talk about this idea of truth. Uh, 300 years before Jesus walked the earth, uh, two uh, philosophies were birthed at roughly the same time. One is called Epicureanism, and one is called Stoicism, and, and both of these philosophies in the Greco-Roman world were well-established when Jesus was born and came in, into the world, and they were kind of the main way of thinking in the Greco-Roman world about truth. And so on the one hand, you had Epicureanism, and Epicureanism would say, hey, listen, um, there's, of course, things that we can affirm are true, this material world that we can see, like we all here see that there's a table, so clearly the table is true. But beyond that, we can't really say that there's any sort of universal truths out there. We can't really say that anything for sure is absolutely true beyond just what we can perceive with our eyes. And so Epicureans said, so listen, uh, just pursue truth however you want, however it fits for you, whatever makes you happy, just grab hold of that and you chase after that. Okay, so that's Epicureanism. The other philosophy at that time was Stoicism. And Stoicism said, yeah, of course we can confirm the things that we see here, but there's also a, a rational order to things. There's, there's a way things are in the universe. There's, there's something true behind it all. There's, there's a predetermined order to things, and Stoicism said, and you would do well to get in line with it. All right, so we got these two schools of thought. Epicureans, they say, eh, I can't really know what's true. Just go with what makes you happy. Stoics say, yes, you, you can know the truth. You can know what's, what's true behind everything else. They called this the logos, by the way, is the Greek word for it. The logos was kind of this, this reason, this predetermined way the world worked. Was the logos said so that's what's going on, and you should get in line with it. And so it's into this dichotomy of truth between Epicureanism and Stoicism that the Apostle John writes the Gospel of John, writes his biography of Jesus. And so into this dichotomy of truth, he writes these words, John 1.1. Look with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Now, the word that we translate as word is actually the Greek word logos. And so very intentionally, John grabs hold of this very technical Greek philosophical term, and he says, in the beginning was the logos. This thing, this undermining truth, this force behind everything, this absolute truth of the universe, he says it was there in the beginning of all things with God and is in fact is God. And then in verse 14, he says something incredible about the Logos. Look at it. And the word became flesh, the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so he says, this Logos, the truth behind everything we see, actually put on flesh and blood and lived among us. And we know him to be the person of Jesus Christ. See, truth is a person. Truth is a person. This is actually very important for an appropriate understanding of Christian epistemology. Uh, and, and here's why. In, in our contemporary world, there's generally two schools of thought on truth. And you know them. You may not know the history of them, but you see it's just the air we breathe. Okay? And these are kind of the two schools of thought on truth in our world. One is that, that all truth is relative. Right? All truth is relative. You just kind of do what's true for you, what's right for you. Truth is, is, is relative. Uh, it's, it's all subjective. It's only true for the individual. Any sort of universal truth came is really just a power play because we can't really know anything beyond our own selves. And, and so this sort of came into being in the, the 1870s uh, with the, the work of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche and the hermeneutics of suspicion. I won't go into that, but then it's kind of been brought into more modern era through uh, Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida and, and many others in more recent years. And so we got on the one hand, all truth is relative, okay? On the other hand, another common way of looking at truth is, is for people to say, hey, listen, things that are true are empirical and rational, and that's it. Nothing more, nothing less. If it's not empirical and it's not rational, then it's not true. And so that's, that's the definition of truth, nothing outside of that, let's not get crazy, empirical and rational. Now this came to us uh, through a, a thinker named Rene Descartes. Uh, you may not know the story, it's really fun. So Rene Descartes, he's this dude, and it's, uh, when I got the date here, it's November 10th, 1619, all right? Important date. November 10th, 1619, Rene Descartes says, you know what, I'm going to figure out what's true in the world, I'm going to figure out how I can know that I know. And so what he does is he locks himself in an oven, which is a great place to start. And um, he didn't turn it on. But, but he locks himself in an oven. He says, I'm not coming out of this oven until I figure out what's true about this world. And his path to the truth was to doubt everything. And so I'm not just talking about like doubting God, which he did that. He may still have ended up, Chris, I don't remember. But at any rate, but he, he doubts that. But he, he starts doubting like, okay, I'm doubting that I'm in an oven. I'm doubting that I'm a man. And he's just like, just doubting everything he can. But then he gets to this point where he says, wait a second, I can't doubt that I'm doubting because I'm doubting that I'm doubting. I'm thinking about the fact that I'm doubting, which means that I'm thinking. And so he like gets into this whole crazy spiral, and he comes out of the oven, and he goes, ah, coins this great phrase that we all know. I think, therefore, I am. I think, therefore, I am. And so from that, the age of enlightenment is, is birthed. Uh, and it really took hold. And, and, and basically, the, the idea behind that is that anything that's rational and empirical is inherently true. And anything that is not rational and empirical is inherently not true. And this line of thinking, of course, continues to this day through the folks like Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and, and many others. So we've got truth is relative on one side. All truth is relative on one side. And, and truth is only empirical and rational on the other side. And in the midst of that comes the Gospel of John that says truth is a person. 
that says truth is the person of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see that means is, is really profound. If truth is the person of Jesus Christ, it means we can embrace that which is empirical and rational, but we can also recognize that to engage a person means that there's going to be subjectivity to it into how we respond to him. So let me explain all this a little bit, all right? You guys all hanging with me? I know we start a little bit here. It grounds down, all right? There's a funny story at the end. Everyone leaves home happy, all right? So just hang with me. Um, so uh, let me explain a little bit. Listen to how John describes Jesus as the Logos in, in verses uh, 2 to 5. First of all, verses 2 to 3. Talking about Jesus as the Logos, he says this. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right, so John says, uh, Jesus was with God, is God, that all things, mean, means literally all things, uh, were made through him, and without him, it's all good, was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him. So what does that mean? That means that as Christians, we want to learn as much about this world as we can. We learn as much about this world as we can that, that using our reason and our senses and trying to discover what's true is, is part of what is. We're, we're not afraid of the truth because there isn't a truth in this world that we will ever discover that Jesus' fingerprints aren't already on. Right? And so we seek to study everything we can. We seek to grow and we seek to learn because it shows us more about our Lord and His world. So we dig into that, but there's more to it. Listen to verses 4 to 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, so on the one hand, we can affirm and celebrate the use of, of reason uh, to grow intellectually, but we also recognize that there's aspects of it, aspects of our life as human beings that... that there's darkness about, that we don't know about. There's stuff we don't know about, and that's okay to say. And so in the meantime, we don't assert truths that aren't there because they do end up just being power plays. Truth is a person. Next thing we'll see is that truth is for all. Look at verse 9 in our text. Talking about Jesus as the Logos, it says this, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. That is so cool. John's saying, listen, Jesus is the source of all truth in this world. Source of all truth in this world. And his light, his truth, is for all people. The truth is for all. Everyone is invited to engage their mind. And this is what I love. If you look at the life of Jesus, that's what he did. That Jesus engaged all sorts of people from all walks of life. Fishermen, women, Clergymen, politicians, tax collectors, radicals, the poor, the rich, children, anyone he could talk to. He engaged all people from all walks of life, and he encouraged them to do this. People would say, hey, Jesus, what's, what's the greatest commandment? What, what should I pursue my whole life? What should I pour my entire life into? What's the greatest commandment? And in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, Jesus answers them. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. With your mind. And what's fascinating about what Jesus does here is, is he's talking to a, a Jewish audience, and so they would have known the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, uh, which, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your strength. What Jesus does here is he, he adds mind. He flips it. He takes out strength and he puts in mind. That Jesus says to his followers, he says, listen, you, you pursue God with your mind. You, you love truth with your mind. Pursue everything you can. See, when we see truth as a person, and we see this call to love God with our minds, it has an absolutely profound ripple effect on us. And what's amazing is we see that after Jesus encourages people to love God with all their minds, it has a profound ripple effect throughout all of history. And so I'm just going to lay that out for you real quick, as quickly as I can. We're going to go through basically all of Western history, all right? Um, we, we can get into Eastern too if you want, but not today. We don't have time, okay? So Jesus says, love the Lord with all your mind. And before Jesus ascends to the Father, Matthew 28, he's talking to his disciples, and he says, hey, go into all the world, uh, teach all the nations to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach all people to obey everything I have commanded you. And so then we see in Acts chapter 2, the disciples start doing just this that they get together a group of people and they start teaching them about who Jesus is and they begin this process, men and women, they begin this process called catechesis. And they begin teaching people. Now, if, if you took, you know, Western Civ class, you know the, the Greco-Roman world, like they loved learning. They loved learning. But learning was only for the select few. It was only for rich males. That was it. But see, the early church turned this on its head. And they said, no, 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 we're going to teach everybody. We teach men, women, rich, poor, children, slaves, free. I mean, in fact, by 150 A.D., the church father, Justin Martyr, had launched schools in Ephesus and in Rome. And then we flash forward a couple hundred years. Uh, the barbarians sack Rome. It collapsed. And when that happens, all of Europe became illiterate. There were no libraries left in Europe. The only place where any knowledge was happening were Christian monasteries. They became these bastions of knowledge where they're collecting uh, works, preserving texts, transmitting knowledge. Just, they're guys that spent their entire lives just copying books. And, and not just Christian books. Like The whole reason we know anything about the classical world, like the only reason we know Homer or uh, Tacitus or, or Livy or any of those guys, is because these Christian monks copied texts again and again and again. Because followers of Jesus way back then loved God with all of their minds. And then these monasteries very quickly became universities. That in the 12th century, the, the first university was launched in Paris. Shortly after, in the 13th century, uh, Oxford and Cambridge began. Uh, Oxford's slogan being, the Lord is my light. Then came universities in Rome, Naples, Vienna, Heidelberg. All of those universities were begun by followers of Jesus. See, and there's this misnomer out there that, like, during the Middle Ages, I don't know if you've ever seen it in, you know, some of those brilliant comment sections on the Internet, uh, but this misnomer uh, out there that the followers of Jesus, that, that the church just suppressed science during the Middle Ages, and we'd be living in this glorious technological age if it wasn't for those idiots. And, and so it's this, like, idea that that's what happened. On the contrary, uh, there's a, a writer named Tim O'Neill, who's, who's an atheist, not really a big fan of the church, but he responds to these critiques, and this is what he says. It's not hard to kick this nonsense to pieces, especially since the people presenting it know next to nothing about history, I wish I could say that, and have simply picked up these strange ideas from websites and popular books. The assertions collapse as soon as you hit them with hard evidence. When asked why they have failed to produce any such scientists, given the church was apparently so busily oppressing them, they often resort to claiming that the evil old church did such a good job of oppression that everyone was too scared to practice science. By that time, I produce a laundry list of medieval scientists. 
like Albertus Magnus, Robert, not doing that one, Roger Bacon, uh, John Peckham, Don Scotus. I'm not going to read all of them, but, but you can see the list up there. And then he says this. And ask why these men were happily pursuing science in the Middle Ages without molestation from the church. My opponents usually scratch their heads in puzzlement at what just went wrong. And so we, we get through the Middle Ages and we get to the era of the Reformation. And that's when, when, uh, when geniuses like my boy Martin Luther insisted that more and more people uh, needed to become literate. That he's like, hey man, not enough people are able to read the Bible. We've got to teach them how to read first so they can read the Bible. And so he starts teaching all sorts of people how to read. And this happens all over Europe. And so it's no surprise uh, that, that alongside the Reformation, a renaissance happens. That both these things happen because more and more people are becoming literate. And then, of course, we know the Puritans then, they set sail from England, they land in the good old U.S. of A., and pretty shortly after landing there, they start a few little schools you may have heard of called Harvard, Yale, William and Mary, Princeton, Brown, all with the purpose of equipping people to love God with their mind. In fact, 92% of all colleges and universities of the first 138 colleges in America were begun for followers of Jesus Christ. In 1780... A man named Robert Rakes was in Great Britain. And in Great Britain at that time, uh, poor children did not go to school. They went to the factory. And they worked six days a week, 12-hour days, in the factory. The only day they had off was Sunday. And this guy, Robert Rakes, said, that's not right. I'm, I'm gonna, they're going to go to school. They're going to go to school on a Sunday. We're going to call it Sunday school. And so he did just that. So originally, Sunday school was not this cute little church activity, but it was a place where he taught children how to read and to write, and he taught them about who God was. And within 50 years of him starting Sunday school, 1.5 million children were being educated by 160,000 volunteers. And then as Christian missionaries began to travel around the world and spread the word of God, these missionaries realized that, that there were languages that had no written form to them. And so people couldn't read the Bible in their own language. And so Christian missionaries began writing out languages that were only oral up until that point. And so the first grammar and dictionaries of countless languages in our world were written out by missionaries who cared. There's a guy named Frank Laubach who began a worldwide literacy movement. He developed primers in 313 languages. It's one dude. We got literature. We got science. The vast majority of scientific pioneers were followers of Jesus. William Ockham, Francis Bacon, Galileo, Copernicus, Blaise Pascal, he invented the scientific method. Uh, Joseph Priestley, Louis Pasteur, Isaac Newton, uh, George Washington Carver. You guys know him, the, the guy who did all the work with the peanut, right? He started his studies with the peanut. He picked one up and he looked it up and he said, God, what's in a peanut? So you can literally thank Jesus for peanut butter. And by extension, thank him for Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, the greatest creation in the entire world. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind. And people did. And it's changed absolutely everything for us. And I go through all that to point this out. First of all, uh, some of you have deep passions for science or history or mathematics or literature or whatever it is. And you've maybe felt or thought that that was somehow unspiritual. That really you just, you know, you should really only care about studying theology and spirituality and just ignore all that stuff. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. You take part in a long history of loving God with your mind. 
at those pieces of the world that he's given you a curiosity about. You should celebrate that. And so I just want you to open your eyes to that. That's a good thing. Secondly, uh, what I love about this idea that the, the light of truth is for all people is that it, hopefully, as you heard these stories, it, it inspires all of us to recognize that, that we have the, the opportunity to pass on truth to the next generation. And I know many of you are, are teachers or, or professors, and you do that formally. But for many of us who do it informally as parents, as aunts and uncles, as grandparents, as mentors to, to young people, that we have the opportunity to, to pass on the truth to other people. Because truth is a person, and truth is for all. And the beautiful thing about our truth as Christians is that we believe that it's liberating. That when someone truly encounters it, it's absolutely freeing. Look with me at verses 16 to 18 in our text. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. All right, so John's talking here about how the word, the Logos, uh, came and dwelt among us in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. That we've all received grace upon grace. What does that mean? Well, first of all, we've got to recognize that God could have remained distant. He could have said, hey, yeah, there's maybe some truth in the world. There's maybe some stuff worth knowing, but you know what? You guys figure it out. Just leave you guys on your own. But instead, God chose to enter into our world in the person of Jesus Christ to show us the truth about this world, to show us that that truth is a person that we can grab onto and that we're invited in to experience it and that when we do that, it's truly liberating. That's grace. But what's more is that as we learn truth, we learn truth about ourselves. And we learn that we're sinful and broken and we're, we're tin, turned in on ourselves and turned away from God. And God in his grace didn't just leave us there. He didn't just say, hey, I'm going to show you what the truth is. I'm just going to show you what the truth is about yourself. Good luck with that. No, he made a way for us to have access to him. That through Jesus' death on the cross and through his resurrection, God said, hey, you are welcomed into my presence forever. You get to know me forever. That's grace upon grace. Uh, so my mom gave me a little uh, Martin Luther Playmobil guy because I'm eight. And um, no, it's, it's, it's supposed to be this like collector thing because it's the 500th uh, anniversary of the Reformation is next year, 2017. I know you're all counting it down. And uh, at any rate, and so, so she gave me this little Martin Luther action figure guy. And uh, the other day, my son Titus, who's three, asked if he could play with it. And I was like, no. Uh, no, so you can play with it. So, so he's playing with it. And, uh, and, you know, and, you know, my son Titus, he plays with a lot of action figures and superheroes. And so he's playing with this, like, little Martin Luther doll who, like, all he's got is, like, a quill pen and a book. And, and so Titus played for, like, three seconds, and he held it up, and he's like, Dad, this guy is not very special. And, and that, that was his word. And, and now, if you've been at this church, like, ever before, you know that, like, the most, most influential speaker, thinker in my life is Martin Luther, right? So, so I, was, I was taken aback by my son's blasphemy. Uh, and, and I said, listen, Titus, buddy, I, I know like he doesn't look special, uh, but he's very special. And Titus said, why? 
And I said, well, you know how, how daddy tells people about Jesus? That's how I explain what a pastor does. I said, you know how daddy tells people about Jesus? And just then Titus interrupts me and he goes, oh, yeah, and you're not very good at it, and so this guy helps you? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like yes, exactly. That is it, buddy. Nailed it. Uh, from the mouth of babes. Um, so anyways... Here's my point in that story. One of the beautiful things that that we get to celebrate as the people of God uh, is that there are saints who have come before us, that there are people who have encountered Jesus, the same Jesus that you have and I have, and they've left us a plethora of riches to continue to love God with all of our minds. And so my prayer for you this week uh, is that you'd see that the truth of Jesus Christ is, is liberating, and freeing and enables you to love God with all your mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world that we might know truth. That we might celebrate that. That we might learn to love you with our minds. God, I pray you, you help us to do that well, whatever fields we're in, whatever areas that, that we uh, are drawn to in our, in our brains, that we would see that you're at work there. Now, there's no truth outside of you. There's no truth outside of our Savior, Jesus. And we thank you that he's come for us, that he's made a way that we might know you now and into eternity. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.